Welcome to Let's Get Information. My name is Alexa Silvaggio, and this, my friends, is a podcast for seekers, entrepreneurs, spirit junkies, and wellness lovers of all kinds. Each week, we'll be offering you inspiration, education, and co-creation that will help you cultivate an epic life. So let's dig deep, lift up, and thrive through these personal stories, tips, how-tos, and most importantly, great, rich truth. Hello, gorgeous information seekers. Alexa Silvaggio here. I am so stoked to be talking to you today, and I am super stoked to be talking with the beautiful Erica Mather. Erica Mather is an amazing human, but she's also a and a forest yoga teacher. She is the founder of the Adore Your Body program, which she actually made, she cultivated through her many trainings um, to help you cultivate a more loving relationship to your body. We talk about all the things, of course, as you know, we, we get to the nitty gritty of things, but we talk about how to embody one's body. We talk about how to create a more loving relationship to your body. We talk about how we uh, live in a culture that really benefits off of you not feeling so great about your body. Uh, And so much more. We talk about yoga. We talk about injuries. We talk about presence. You're going to love it. So please sit back, relax, and let's get information. Hello, gorgeous Erica Mather. Thank you so much for coming on Let's Get Information podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I am so excited to be here. This is amazing. Ah, No, but seriously, I've been a fan of yours for a long time um, Mm. on social media, of course, and I've taken your class and, and you were actually a part of my teacher training. I don't know if you like remember me from, I don't know, seven years ago at Pure, (laughs) you did a forest yoga module and I was like, Ooh, Yeah, I remember your pretty face. And I often don't know exactly where I first encountered the the faces that circulate around. But I'm actually like, yes, I remember that. And yeah, I mean, I've been doing that teacher training since they rolled it out. So I've touched almost every pure graduate, (laughs) at least for an hour or two. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And I loved it. It was super dreamy. And it's, and it, um, it's been really cool to just follow you and follow your journey and, and like learn about what you're creating, which I would love if you would share with our listeners, just what you're up to, what you do and you know, your jam, what's your you got jam. It. So I'm a, I'm a forest yoga teacher and that's really my home practice. And Through forest yoga, I learned about something called embodiment, which basically Mm -hmm. means like living your life in your body. Shocking concept. And (laughs) and through this like concern for the body and the life of the body and the consciousness of the body and the experience of having a spirit and a consciousness independent of the body, I have generated basically two core uh, concerns that express themselves in my work day to day. And one of them is working with people with injuries and illnesses and aging in yoga um, Mm. because I really believe that this friendly attitude towards the body is imperative and most necessary. Like we need it the most when we're hurt uh, because at that moment, like your body needs you more than ever. 
And that's really the moment that people like bail out on their bodies and they sort of disconnect. So it feels like a betrayal. Yeah. They feel like it's a betrayal or then they lie in bed for six weeks because that's what their doctor told them to do. And in order to heal, you need to move and get some breath going and get some blood going, even if it's just like some pranayama, you know? So uh, this is really a passion of mine because I feel like also those moments, injury, illness, aging are, are opportunities to get information from our bodies about what direction to go in order to take care of them. So when we cut off communication with the body at that moment, we sometimes make ill-informed decisions about what what direction to be going. I also mm-hmm. see a lot of the times that these events, injury, illness, and aging, I mean, we're all aging all the time, but you know, these other events are <laughs> sometimes they're like ruptures in our life that create an opening for a spiritual growth. And if we don't have, you know, that the yoga kind of like in place, then we miss the opportunity for the spiritual growth to occur. And these things, I think um, they're, they're heartbreaking to me. And it's in particular heartbreaking when I see the people who really need yoga the most not getting it because the yoga practice is less and less about injury and illness and aging and more and more about youth and staying young and staying pretty and being healthy. And it's like, there is no, it doesn't look like there's any room for the rest of those people in this practice when actually the practice is about generating health and vitality and longevity. And, but we've become somehow very bad at actually helping people attain that unless they already come to us possessing it. So there's that thing. And that thing (laughs) lives under the umbrella of, um, what I call the yoga clinic of New York city, which is uh, me and my teacher trainees um, basically spreading a philosophy that if you're injured or ill or you're getting older and you realize you can't do what you used to do, we're the people for you. And, you know, case in point, very interesting. I went to a holiday party for a client last night and my client has sort of like an undiagnosed neurological disorder that has been slowly eroding her ability to do things like walk. And I went dressed like in yoga clothes and wearing my Lux yoga sweatshirt, which is basically like the only like promotional sweatshirt I'll wear except for maybe like a forest yoga sweatshirt. But it was apparent to everybody that, you know, because it said Lux yoga on my chest that I'm involved in yoga. But when they asked me like, what was my relationship? And I said, well, I'm a hostess's yoga teacher. Um, that really gave people a lot of pause. And then they had questions because they wanted to know how do you do yoga if you can't walk? And I was like, well, let me tell you Um, because this is what I do is. And then, you know, another person was like, I'm going to hire you because my father-in-law is 80 and just had a subdural hematoma and he's really fearful about movement. And I think that you might be the person for him. And I was just like, I just think I just picked up like three new clients at this holiday party because I do this weird thing. Right. But everybody wanted it. They want, they were like, Oh, you could help. I want to do yoga. I've been, you know, I miss it. Or I used to practice or my father-in-law needs help. And you might, it sounds like you might be able to help if you can help my hostess who doesn't walk well do yoga. Like it was like proof. And, uh, and so I was like, so heartened 
because it just, it really um, was proof to me of a theory that I have, which is supported by a statistic, which says that four out of five people want to start yoga. So why are those other four out of five people not starting yoga? And my answer is, I think mostly because they think that they need to lose weight first, or they Mm. need to be flexible before they go, or that they need to have the right right wardrobe. And everything that we put out in the social media space and in the marketing space basically tells them that's true. Yeah. Oh, it affirms all of that. It totally does. Wild. And so for me to walk in and be like, yeah, this is what I do. And to have three or four people be like, I want to hire you. And it was like, they were, they were, you know, they thought they were outliers, but they're not. They're actually the majority. People who look like us were the outliers, you and me. Right. (laughs) Right? Right. And so it's a very funny thing. Okay. So there's that component of what I do, which is about embodiment. And because, you know, these things alienate people from their body, injury, illness, aging, they make, it makes them feel, um, disconnected or like you said, like their body has betrayed them. And I really want to work to counter that because I think that it's the moment exactly when you need to come into communion with your body more than ever. And yoga offers the perfect tools for that. So that's one half of the equation. Beautiful. Should I keep going? I feel like I'm talking a mile a minute here. No, I'm loving it so okay. much. I'm just like, I'm like, the smile on my face is like increasingly growing. So Yay. you'll like see it in New York. In Fantastic. Okay. Talking. All right. Well, I'll do what my teacher says, which is I'll take a breath in. Yes. Okay. Now I'm going to keep talking. And so the other Excellent. half of this is about, um, is about body acceptance, um, yes. specifically for people who maybe aren't like, dealing with the issues that I mentioned, but just sort of the general population, because I feel like, uh, this is a foundational block that very, very few people are in, are, are encouraged to love their body and then continue to love their body and then go forth into the world, creating their life with a foundation of love for their body. And most people, what I've found is that they, have absorbed a lot of messages from their family, from their peers, from um, media that tells them that their body is not correct. And then they develop like a little hard armor of shame and guilt around that secret knowledge that they're flawed and therefore develop all kinds of compensatory behaviors like over-exercising or dieting or taking speed or cosmetic surgery. And you develop these compensatory behaviors to try to cover up this thing that you think that everybody knows about you, which is that your body is bad. And this is very terrifying, like messaging, but basically what it does is it, 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 it ties up human energy in an obsession that doesn't ever go anywhere except it fuels itself. And so I view this as like a human resource issue. Um, because if we unleashed all of this energy that's tied up in this self-serving self-sabotaging thing that then humans might think more about how they want to spend the hours of their days in service of their own lives or in service of humanity instead of wondering how they could somehow control their body to make it 
in their view, more loving or more lovable or acceptable. So there's that. Yes. And then there's this other piece, which is that it, it, um, it is a manifestation of a form of violence that we perpetuate upon ourselves. And when I see that when we are involved in self-violence of a particular kind, that it lowers the threshold for our acceptance of violence against other people. And so mm. I view this also okay. as, a, as a, a world peace mission, because when people view their bodies as lovable and acceptable, and then no longer tolerate the their, their own violence that they've been perpetrating against it, then they also no longer accept the violence that other people perpetrate against it. And then they stop being as accepting of other people committing violence against other people. Shocking. Shocker. <laughs> so yeah. uh, so there is these sort of kind of like meta issues, I yeah, believe tied awesome. up in this very subtle, insidious, underground thought that most people have moment to moment, minute to minute, if not hourly, which is something like I'm fat. And just the thought I'm fat encapsulates all of these things that I've talked about. And then we can also go a little bit farther and talk about how it's, uh, how it's basically wrecked um, uh, a trust among women amongst themselves, how it's corroded sisterhood, how it's damaged the ways that mothers parent their sons, how it's damaged the way that sons view a, a, a woman's body, and basically yes. how this one thing <laughs> has fucked up humanity. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. it basically, I believe it comes down to capital. I think it comes down to capitalism. And basically yes. it's how right. can you make a population subservient? And if you teach a population to hate the most fundamental things about themselves, which is their body, that then you've tied that population up in a knot and can get them to do kind of anything really. Oh, yeah. I mean, they proliferate off of it. I mean, like people make money off of us feeling like shit about ourselves is basically the bottom line. Yeah. You know? There's that piece. And then there's an even deeper piece, which has to do with the female body. And it's like, if you want a labor yeah. force, you know, who makes a labor force, women make a labor force through having babies. And mm. so there is an even sort of deeper kind of thing about capital and capitalism that's tied up in controlling women's bodies specifically. Yeah. Yes. And, um, you know, there was a time in human history when um, labor force was dwindling because of things like plague, right? And there sure. were religious groups called heretics that didn't want to have children because they viewed it as trapping a soul in hell because they viewed wow. life on earth as hell. And so why would you trap a person in this world? And their answer was to not have children. And you can see that if you needed like people to, for instance, uh, bring in the harvest and there was a labor force that was not present because of death that you might want to control reproduction in a particular way to make sure that the labor force was there. 
So it's kind of like a really interesting historic thing that I that we see presently kind of like in capitalism. It's like if women feel bad about themselves, then they'll spend a lot of money on all of these procedures and products and services and cool. But also a little deeper is like the, the roots and the legs of capitalism are founded on labor and, and cheap labor, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you have a labor force that's cheap? Well, you can have slaves. That's what we did here in the U.S. Right. <laughs> or you can export slavery. Now we have slaves in China and Cambodia and Tibet who work for, you know, two cents a day. So we've exported slavery. Right. And so I'm very curious how all these economics that are happening right now are going to shake down so that the United States continue can continue to have what we all seem to feel is our right is to have products that are cheap. And I'm just not seeing how the economics are going to work out. But anyway, body confidence. (laughs) (laughs) So in summary, by the way, I really do. What was that? (laughs) I wish I had an answer for that, how it's going to end, you oh, know, no. with all I, the... I just, I don't, I mean, if, if I, if I had to say how it's going to end, I think that basically, um, the middle class and the lower class are going to get gutted and then be forced to work at less than what they're accustomed to because there are no other options. And so I basically think that, um, the middle class and the lower class in the United States are going to become the new uh, low wage labor force and particularly with further automation, which is another reason why I think what I do is really valuable because no one is going to be able to automate anytime soon. Um, being like a healthcare worker or for instance, there are no like, um, robotic plumbers, you know, you might be considering going back to like trade school and figuring out electrician, plumber, mechanic, you know, these I think are good ideas, but in summary, um, so my body confidence sort of thing kind of parses into these two big channels. Um, one, which is my day-to-day work in yoga, specifically helping people every day, figure out how to feel good about their bodies as they are now and create sustainable practices for being as healthy as possible. And then sort of on a more like my, my social media presence really revolves more around this body confidence sort of for everybody sort of thing. Um, And, you know, this is something I've been working on in the yoga business for a long time is what is the relationship between my, my day-to-day teaching and my, out in the social media thing. And what I see is, you know, my private clients, uh, basically they're learning from me these messages all the time. And then my classroom students also are always getting, I'm always teaching them about embodiment. And so interestingly enough, the people who just want to get their asses kicked, uh, they don't show up in my classes because that's not what I do. I used, I mean, I, I can, and I used to do that. Uh, when I first started teaching in New York, I just realized, oh, I just need to, I just need to kill these people. Okay, yeah. well, I can do that pretty, pretty yeah. easily. It's really not that hard. Um, right. But I realized that's not the message I want to stand on for the rest of my life. It's just like you just come to get into me to get a yoga workout. I think that's actually an incredibly devaluing position for a yoga teacher. And yes. I think that it's really important that yoga teachers actually push back against that 
and don't surrender to it because it devalues all of us and all of our potential and our skill and what we could bring to the world. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And, you know, God, I don't remember who it was. I want to say it was Iyengar or someone that said like you could, (laughs) and if you do (laughs) want to get your ass kicked, you know, like you could actually sweat into Dasana if you wanted to, you know, if you're really doing it. Oh my God. You know, with, Hold your With arms the, up overhead for like three minutes and ujjayi it, and lengthen your tailbone exactly. down and lift your kneecaps and like squeeze your hands together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, well, that is work. You don't have to like put burpees in your yoga class in order to like <laughs> get a sweat. <laughs> you know, it's like so unnecessary and totally devaluing of the actual, because I really fall into the, a similar jurisdiction as you do when it comes to what the practice of yoga is about. And because I have a, a similar relationship to the body acceptance movement, like for me, it's very much about embodying the body. Yeah. And like from that place of embodiment, being able to like hopefully befriend and like live in our body in a way that actually serves and live in our body in a way that, that feels good and make choices from that place of embodiment rather than reactivity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For you, what do you, like when it comes to actually helping people cultivate that accepting relationship? their body. What are some some of the fundamentals that you implement? Well, uh, I mean, from a yoga class standpoint, I, I mean, the real sort of ground floor is, can you breathe? And it, it sounds mm-hmm. like, so, you know, oh, good. Here's another yoga teacher talking about breathing. You know, it's like, <laughs> but, but, um, the, the forest yoga thing is really so breath oriented and, it's about using the breath to connect to the body and actually to feel the body kind of on its own terms. So like the first place I'd start is teaching Ujjayi and then teaching something really basic, like, can you feel your ribs move? Mm. And like, if you can't feel your ribs move, okay, that's okay. But like, why is that? Is it because they're not actually moving? Is it because you're not actually in your body and therefore you can't detect that movement? So these are real, like basic, like, can you start to come into a relationship with your body through these techniques? Not, and it's really important that the techniques aren't like, like thought candy techniques. It's like, has to be actual, embodied techniques to teach embodiment, right? Which is one of the reasons like, um, that the yogic, the, the asana practice is actually really important for this endeavor. So there's that, you know, from a let's do yoga and create a relationship that would be the ground floor. And then if it wasn't about asana, then I start to pull out some, Uh, philosophy and teach people to, um, to self study. And then I actually have a body image program I call adore your body. And so like the first step in my adore your body program is to examine our assumptions around happiness and Mm. to examine the assumptions that we've made about happiness as it pertains to our body and what it looks like 
and the way that people treat us and the things that we receive in life as a result. So those are things that you can start to do and start to look at without, um, without actually doing asana, right? So we can tackle this from both places, but we can't bypass the actual creation of a relationship with the body thing. And so, um, I actually have a talk I haven't delivered in a while. It's called yogic mindsets for body positive thoughts, speech, and behavior. And so basically I pull out, um, all of the branches of, um, Oh, I'm blanking on the Sanskrit word right now. Pull out all the branches of basically it's suffering. Avidya. Is it Avidya? It might be Avidya. I think it is Avidya. I think it's Avidya. Yeah. And so the the branches are like ego and desire and fear and, you know, things like that. So pulling out all of those five branches and examining how they show up in the ways that we think about our bodies and then the ways that we talk about other people's bodies or our bodies and then the ways that we behave. Because basically, you know, what, what is yoga? Yoga is a very, very early study of human consciousness. So really it's like a psychological examination And so you can start to look at the ways that we relate to our body um, through this psychological examination and the manifestation, the sort of life cycle of thought, speech, behavior. And interestingly enough, um, uh, I learned this from Matthew Sanford. It was really, Matthew Sanford's a a fascinating uh, person. He uh, is a yoga, an Iyengar yoga teacher. And he, um, he lives in Minnesota and he was in a car accident when he was 13 and is paralyzed from the chest down. And, um, so I learned from him though, in a talk that he gave, you know, that he said that as the consciousness presses out into the world, the first thing that it encounters is the body. And in order for the, in order for our consciousness to know that it exists, what it needs to do is formulate a judgment. And so the thing that we first create an opinion about, and usually opinion it manifests in the form of a judgment, is the first thing that the mind encounters, which is the body. Right? And so it's really interesting because you can, you can see then how this life cycle of thought, thought begets speech, speech begets behavior, that how that then we, 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 we apply those forces to our body, usually in the form of a judgment, and come up with something self-damaging. Mm. So, totally. you know, those are basically the two sides of this coin is like, what are we doing in an asana practice to actually promote this concept of body positivity or body confidence or body acceptance or whatever term you really want to use or empowerment? And yes. then what can we do independent of the asana practice to also continue to engender that? Yes. On the mat, off the mat. Mm-hmm. Um, Erica, if you don't mind, I would love to hear about like your potential story as to why this is so important to you and why you feel called to share it. If you have a personal story or something of that nature. Yeah, I do. So where to begin? These are long and winding stories. As, as you know, it's like, um, 
So I grew up in the Midwest and was basically full grown at 11. You know, I was like 11 going on like 40 sort of. And oh my goodness, I was back in Madison, which is my hometown over Labor Day. And my niece is 11. And and when I was there, her mother said um, she got her period over the weekend. And then I laid eyes upon this child, 11 years old. And I thought, oh my God. She is such a baby, like baby face, baby body, like everything. Like, yeah. and then I thought about myself at 11 and I thought I was like the same thing. And it's yeah. so terrifying, you know, it's so terrifying. Yeah. And I just had this moment of sort of like family constellations, you know, sort of that family um, dynamics reappear intergenerationally. And I was like, Oh, thank you spirit for this insight. And, you know, I don't know that she's going to do what I was doing, but I mean, I was alarmed by my body (laughs) and so wanted to control it. And mostly what I felt was that the fleshy objects that had grown upon me, (laughs) namely boobs and ass made me unsafe in the world. That's what I felt. It was like, because of these things, I am no longer safe. Before these things showed up, I was fine. Nobody bothered me. Nobody like behaved weird around me. Nobody oogled me. Nobody tried to hit on me. You know, it was like, I was fine. So I was like, well, maybe if I could get them to disappear, I'd be fine and safe again. And so, you know, I started dieting because dieting basically made my double D boobs into like B boobs. And that was a lot safer. And I was a, I was a obsessive compulsive exerciser. I was like a restrictive eater slash binge eater, never like full blown eating disorder. I think that we understand now that eating disorders sort of exist on a spectrum and, um, you know, some of them are more life threatening than others, but are they, they're damaging socially and, um, psychologically sort of to similar degree. And so, um, I was, I also, I'm pretty sure I have body image dysmorphia because, it's just like there's no corollary really between what I see and what other people seem to see. So, sure. and I, but now that I'm a yoga person, I'm not sure that that's not some weird gift to be able to see things differently than other people, but that's a whole aside about the gift of sight. Um, but I just wanted to yeah. sort of put that in there because I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Like, why is it that I don't see things as they are apparently to other people. Anyway, side note. So it was really when I was, um, maybe there were two main points of insight um, after college, a few years after college, where I realized that I was exercising out of hatred. And, and yeah. some part of me, wants to survive. I think that life 
is a constant, like day to day, you have to show up and, and be like, actually, I want to be here. I want to be alive. No one asked me in the first place, but I'm making this decision. I choose life. And there's a part yes. of me that's, that's deep that wanted to survive. I don't really understand it. But when I realized that I was basically sort of trying to kill myself with exercise, I was like, oh no, yeah. we can't do that. <laughs> like we got to yeah. stop that. And so I quit sure. like cold turkey and basically stopped exercising entirely for a number of years. I also had the same insight around the way that I was eating. And I remember hearing a voice that basically said, the way you're eating is killing you. And I was like, oh, well, thank you for that wisdom from the beyond. Okay. Yes. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah. So I was like, oh, all right, I'll make some changes. And (laughs) so these two things sort of went hand in hand, but, you know, I still was sort of like committed to being skinny and really wanting to be skinny because, you know, the, 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 the seeds of it being important to my safety were sort of planted really early. And, um, and then what happened is, I developed some migraine headaches. Well, I developed migraine headaches, end of story. And I might've told you this story at the pure teacher training. Um, And so actually that's what brought me to yoga. And at yoga, I started to sort of create a a relationship with my body that was based on how does it feel, not what can it do or what does it look like, which is a whole different way of engaging. And then I'm sort of going to compress some of this because, uh, because I want to like sort of make a complete answer as succinctly as I can, which is then I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and um, I became a holistic health counselor. And I was working for a woman here in New York City. And mostly what was happening was that clients were coming to us because they wanted to lose weight. And, uh, And I would often be looking at these people and be like, you don't need to lose weight. I don't understand what's happening here. But okay, it's my job to like help you with your diet. Yeah. Was that super triggering for you? Um, that would have been triggering for me. Well, I was in a weird sort of in between space because at this point I was still like committed to being thin, but I also saw looking at these other people that their desires to be five pounds lighter was kind of crazy. So I was sort of also like having a reflective, um, moment about myself. Mm. Right. It was like through working with them, I was able to have a different idea about me because I yeah. want you were like oh I see you don't need yeah it is do like if I you know. don't need that and I actually think that you look amazing then yeah. maybe that's the way other people feel about me totally so it was cool. kind of like an interesting thing then what happened is that the person I was working for you know, she sort of considered me a weight loss expert because I was very good at being thin. And uh, I mean, myself, that didn't mean that I could like help any el- anybody else be thin uh, in any healthy way. Right. So and that wasn't what I mean, I wasn't like, well, you should just eat a thousand calories a day or less. You'll be fine. Right. And that wasn't the advice I was giving. I was like, you should drink more water and eat lots of leafy greens. And by the way, fat is really good for you. And uh, PS, I got as thin as I am by eating a lot of ice cream. Maybe you should reconsider this low fat thing, but you know, 
but anyway, so yeah. she wanted to change her business purely into like a weight loss um, business. And she was like, do you want to come along with me? And I was like, no, no, like, no, I, I can't, <laughs> no, I can't live my life promoting weight loss to other women because not only do I not believe in it, but also it traps me because I can only do this as long as I am an example of it. And I don't want yeah. to live my life in this trap. That was Whoa. really the moment where I think I was like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, because, you yeah. know, and I, I see people in our, in our industry, like, it's like, well, if I'm going to be the example of health, then I need to look a particular way. And it's like, what bearing yeah. does that have on yoga or anybody else's body? Mm, totally. or, or actually, or even more importantly, as your, on your skill as a teacher, because, because nowhere yeah. in this project have I really heard a lot of people examining um, what does it mean to be a teacher, right? Um, and basically, yeah. we're yoga teachers, which means that the skill is teaching, the subject is yoga, so, um, so anyway, there was like a real moment of like, not, not, I like, I can't live my life like this. And totally. I think that was really the beginning of it. Now, this person I think has a very great philosophy actually. And it's sort of like her philosophy is very similar to mine, but it's packaged as a weight loss thing. And it might be that she brings people to the table by attracting them through weight loss and then does like sort of a bait and switch thing. I'm not really sure. sure. Right. But, um, but I just yeah. can't like say that I'm going to, I can't say that the benefit of working with me is going or the result of working me with me is going to be that you are going to lose weight. I can't make that promise. And totally. well, a, a, I can't and B, I won't because because yeah, ethically exactly. ethically i cannot right so yeah. that was really the moment where i think and and that was probably like maybe like 2011 i want to say so here it is 2017 almost 2018 so i've been chewing on this for a long time like i teach yoga all of a sudden there's like this body positivity, there's like this body positivity movement in yoga. I'm not really sure what that means. I'm not really sure what people are teaching when they say they're a body positive or body confident yoga teacher. Like I'm not really sure what they're teaching, but all I know is that for as long as I've been teaching, I've been basically teaching what I learned at forest yoga, which is like embody yourself, breathe, feel, try feeling instead of thinking Try being in reality instead of disconnecting. Try being here by being in your body. And so all along I've been teaching this. And for as far back as I can remember, I've had students who have come to me who would be classified, and I'm making air quotes and I'm not buying into this terminology, but would be classified as overweight, you know, and they feel sure. comfortable around yeah. me because, you know, some, maybe it's because I look the way I do, but I think it was more because of what I was teaching. And I've had, te you know, students from you know, my first years in New York city teaching, which I started teaching in New York city in 2006. I've had people from 2006 be like, you disrupted the narrative for me. And so I think, okay, I've been teaching this thing that is important to me for as long as I've been teaching, but I'm just now becoming aware of what it really is and how meaningful it is to me and the people around me. 
and really want to make sure that this is the tip of the spear and the shaft of the spear. And this is the whole deal. Yeah. Wow. That's super powerful and, and super important. And, you know, I think it does have so much to do with just the message that you are creating because we are bombarded. Like we were talking about, um, we we're just bombarded, um, with media and with our family members and with everyone else on the planet, kind of subscribing to that sense of like this, you're not enough unless you are this. And it's really tragic because here we have all these yoga teachers on social media, you know, talking about what yoga is and, you know, and I'm, and, and I think most of us are guilty of it, but I am absolutely guilty of, you know, being in like a skimpy outfit in like a handstand with my toe touching my nose, you know, like I think that we set people up to think that yoga is something that's out of their range, um, just, just through social media and through our marketing. And it's this kind of weird line to walk because it's true. Like we do have to put ourselves out there and we do want to catch an eye. And, and, you know, I notice at least on my social media account, you know, if I post a picture where you can actually see my body versus like me wearing something kind of baggy and loose and like boring or quote unquote boring, you know, it's like, you can see how many people view it versus how many people don't. Um, yeah. and so it is a fine line. I think, you know, when I started my Instagram account and I have like a social media advisor, she was like, you know, Asana photos get the most views. And I was like, eh. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I know. I'm really uncomfortable with this. And, yes. you know, that was maybe like three years ago. I think I've been on Instagram for like three years. And I, what I have to say is this, is that I think that um, there is some truth that um, the things that capture people's attention are create emotion. And I think, and I'm going to be, and I'm going to, I want to create a space of compassion for you and all of the other yoga teachers who are putting up like, you know, amazing photographs is that the emotion that I think that people primarily experience is awe. And I remember reading like a social, like a, like a marketing piece. And basically it said, if you want something to be viral, you have to play on people's emotions. And the top sort of emotions are like, um, joy, fear, awe, amazement, and anger, you know? And so I feel like basically what we're doing in a way, hopefully is, is like expanding the joyful, um, the joyful terrain and people look at it and it's beautiful and they feel inspired, but then there's the caption and you can do all of your work in the caption. And I think that this is really like the, the, the thing is to really be relentless about explaining your position and, and, and using the beauty of your body and the awe that it inspires in other people to capture their attention so that they'll read your words. And now the problem that we have is do my words really do enough (laughs) to kind of like neutralize the impact of the image and what that person may think about themselves as a result of looking at me. And it's kind of like, yeah, I, you know, I don't really know what to do with that. I think it's like, we have an opportunity to really do a lot of good I want to give a shout out to our colleague Kylie Holiday, 
because I think that Kylie yeah. does this really well. And actually, one of my colleagues here in New York, uh, Veronica Peretti, actually asked for an introduction to Kylie because she's like, I'm intrigued by her sort of like inspirational asana photos combined with like confrontational political messages. And I was like, yeah, yes. right. And, and there you go. And like, you know, Kylie is working on something very specific. Right. And it's, it's very, yeah. it's a very hard message though, to be like, you know, like I was trying to explain to people last night at the party. It's like, my asana practice resides somewhere, you know, along a spectrum, but I'm not like a super advanced, like asana person, but you know, I can bring it like I can make those people have an experience and I can dial it all the way back down to the person who is a beginner who's coming to my class for the first time with a neck injury. And like, like yeah. what I do personally isn't necessarily a, a reflection of what I teach. And that is sort of the conundrum. You know, I think that it's tricky. Yes. I've been watching, you know, our colleague uh, Sadie Nardini for a long time. And part of what I think that she does really well is that she puts up basic postures that look beautiful. Um, you know, like, like yeah. a Sadie Nardini, like signature posture is like a lunge, <laughs> you know? And it's like, like, right. could you do a lunge? Probably yes. Like we can probably accomplish yeah. that, you know? And it's like an interesting yes. thing. I think she's always been a savvy marketer. And so I've been, you know, I've often thought about that and it's like, I've seen Sadie practice. Sadie has an incredible practice, you know? And it's just yeah. like, but when she puts yeah. up photos, it's like, here's a lunge. Here's a, here's a cross-legged yeah. position with a mudra. Like she's never, she's yeah. very, very, very rarely flashy. And, you know, and I'm not sure if it works just because she makes sure to make, always make sure that it's incredibly beautiful um, or because yeah. her hairdo catches people's attention. Like, I'm not really quite sure, like if I had to do a marketing analysis, why it works. But it's something that I, that I often think about when I think about like myself. It's like, does it really need to be fancy? It's like, no, because you know what? Most people can't touch their toes. And the fact that I can touch my toes yes. is inspiring to some people, you know? And there's such a fine line between like awe-inspiring and intimidating. There is. And also I think about like, who are we talking to? I think sometimes... I'm not sure. I mean, sometimes like people, I think who aren't like yoga practitioners will follow an awe-inspiring yoga account because they just think it's incredible. Sometimes I wonder yes. if we're creating an echo chamber of like yoga teachers talking to yoga teachers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, and, totally. and so like, I'm always, when I look at my followers, I'm always just like hopeful that they just look like normal ass people <laughs> you know? yeah, because those absolutely. are the people I have like a beautiful group of maybe 10 people who comment on like most of my photos and they are not yoga teachers. And I'm always like, Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, you know, it it's like the same happy and people that literally comment on everything. And I'm like, Oh, at least those people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, that's great because it's like, it's like, I, I mean, on a certain level, I do need to be talking to other yoga teachers but, on a, but, but yoga te other yoga teachers, I mean, from a business vantage point, other yoga teachers aren't my market, <laughs> you know, like yeah, I want to yeah. ta talk to you all so that you like hear what I'm talking about and think about how do you teach as a result. But the people who are, who are my, my market are like normal ass people 
who wear baggy jeans and can't touch their toes. Like those are my people. (laughs) Yes, totally. And those are the people who need yoga the most. Exactly. So like, it's a very, like, we're in such a tricky thing, you know? And I, I think, you know, back to your, back to your commentary on like, am I, am I part of the problem by putting up, I think that's sort of what you're saying. Am I part of the problem by putting up the really flashy photos? And and I want to say like, I'm going to say no. Mostly no. Okay. Sort of yes, but mostly no. It's like 85% yeah. no, 15% yes. And here's the thing is that if you feel uncomfortable all the time when you do it, then that's part of your growth process as a human being. Yeah. And that's really important. Yes. Right? And that you find a way to navigate this discomfort in a way that you feel satisfied that you've, you know, like fallen into alignment with your ethics. That's important. And then I think that, you know, what I was saying is you can use the photo to capture the attention and use the caption to push out the message. Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely my intention as, as a teacher and as someone who does have a social media following is to uh, like be intentional with the message that I'm getting. Totally. I see that. Um, Yeah. All the time. Super important. Yeah. Um, Erica, what makes you feel the most connected? Like whether it's a specific yoga pose, whether it's a pranayama, whether it's taking a walk in nature, like what gets you embodied the most? <laughs> Pain. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> that, Hideous, but totally. <laughs> that'll get you in real fast. Real quick. Yeah. You're so right. I mean, I I mean, I'm laughing because, um, so little like side story about me as like this year has been really difficult health wise for me. Um, I found out in March that I had like a, a pretty serious intestinal parasite that had been like, basically like eating me for like probably like three to four to five years. I thought, I th- I just thought I was going to die. Really. I was just like, I'm just going to like not wake up one day. I had no idea that this was going on. And you told me you were having some health stuff, but we didn't like get into it. Yeah, I'm so that's, that's okay. Thank you. I'm just really grateful that whatever forces at work in the world helped me figure it out because it was completely a fluke that I figured it out. Um, so then I had some more digestive problems and then I got a staph infection And, you know, so it's just been, and then, you know, like some like girl, girl parts problems, you know, we all sort of like have those from time to time. You're like, ah, being a woman is so inconvenient. Um, (laughs) I mean, for so many reasons. Uh, So anyway, long story short, I, I went to the gym for the first time on Sunday in like since like September and like it's December, right? Because I like had a staph infection and in the middle of this all, I had like a photo shoot for yoga journal and I had like a video shoot for Omstar. So I'm like, like I had like staph infection slash really, really like difficult things to do with my body. Okay. So Uh I went to the gym. Oh, and and I worked for six weekends straight, like running programs out of town. It was bananas. What oh, happened? Okay. So I went to the gym and then I came home and I was like, oh shit. I really hurt myself at the gym. Like can't oh, no. bend over sort of like hurt myself. I think like, I think my low back is unwinding. 
like like minor like low lumbar scoliosis and it's like affecting my sacrum and then it affects your psoas and then your and then your like sciatica is like all angry and not then you're like I can't move and so <laughs> so that happened on Sunday and I and then I was like oh this is great like this really 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 puts me back in touch with like um, not just like I'm sick, but now I'm, now I'm injured and let me use this practice to really explore. And there is nothing like pain to get you present. And it could be physical yeah. pain. It could be emotional pain. And it's really yes. funny because this is like a Buddhist teaching, you know, it's like your pain is, yes. your pain is like, how do you grow? And so I, you know, I was laughing when you asked me because I was thinking about this instance this past week. And by the way, my back feels much better, like almost like, like five days later, we're not, we're not completely out of the woods, but, um, but, uh, yes, but, Oh, thank God. I'm so glad. But, um, I was like, Oh great. Now I get to use my practice for the thing that I'm talking to everybody else about all the time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Totally. And actually, you know, I used it as a teaching piece, but okay. So that's on the dark side of the spectrum, you know, on the, on the light side of the spectrum, what helps me feel connected really actually teaching. Like yeah. I'm a, I'm a selfish teacher in some ways. Like I teach for me in a way, like personally right. I teach for me, but you know, but once I'm there, it's like all for them, but it's like that, that, that interaction, um, not only because it connects me to other people, but I feel like my, my creative, my creative force in a lot of ways is, is activated through the, through the action of teaching. And so it makes me feel connected to God. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, what do you have any, I mean, I always love to learn about this. So I always ask my guests this question because I think like, if I'm interested in it, hopefully other people are too. Do you have any books that like you read that you were like, wow, this rocked my world or wow, this changed my perspective. Kind of like a book to live by. Since we're talking about body image and body image always sort of, um, weirdly wraps itself up with food in one way or another. I don't specifically talk to people about food anymore that much. Um, because I really want to deal with this other piece, but, uh, Janine Roth wrote a book called when food is love and it's an amazing read. And it talks about, I mean, basically this sort of weird transference from food to how do you look to how are you lovable or not lovable? And then all the ways that we contort ourselves in order to be something that we're not, because we think that that's what we have to do in order to get loved. Mm. And uh, it's an incredible book. Uh, Janine Roth, it's G-E-N-E-E-N, Janine Roth, Mm -hmm. When Food is Love. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you for that. Do you have uh, others? Um, Yeah. I really like Martha Beck's the joy diet. She's so funny. She's so funny. So I, I, this was actually one of the very first books that I read that had sort of a, like a pan spiritual perspective on life. 
So mm-hmm. I felt like it was a really good primer actually to yoga and Buddhism and Taoism. And because she's sort of, she doesn't really discriminate. She kind of pulls in anything that's useful. Yeah. And that's yeah. sort of what we do in yoga. Actually, I, I talk to my yoga students. I'm like, yoga is sort of like, because n- very few people are actually studying yoga philosophy. We're all sort of studying like pop psychology, you know? So I yeah. feel like yoga is sort of like a clearing house for the best ideas that seem the most relevant from any philosophical spiritual tradition. Yeah. And so yeah. the joy diet was sort of that way for me. It was, uh, so yeah. I, there were two books really that I started out with. One was, um, a, my a, a boyfriend actually gave to me. It's it's called The Wisdom of No Escape by Pema Chodron. But that's mm. Buddhism. That's straight up Buddhism in the Shambhala tradition. Yeah. Right. Yes. So it's really interesting, I think, to read, you know, like sort of catch all books and then and then just read something that's very clearly from one tradition. It's like interesting. Totally. And I love Pema. Yeah. I mean, it's so refreshing. Every time I read her, I'm just like this is so refreshing. It's so simple and yes. so clear and so heartfelt. And I feel instantaneously improved by reading one chapter. Yeah. So, you know, I guess those are sort of the three, you know, that, that come to mind, you know, one is very body specific. The other is like, um, just about spiritual spirituality. And I think, you know, Martha probably titled the book, the joy diet with tongue in cheek. Yeah. Because she knows that people yeah. are dieting, like literally. It's an old book. Like, I think it's from the 90s, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is too. And, um, and yeah, but she's, she's, you're right. She's hilarious and yet brilliant. She's a super smart person. I mean, you could read any of her books, but I think that's like a really good place to start. I love yeah. that. Ugh. Okay. Well, Erica, I just looked at the clock and it's been over. You know, I usually go about like 45 <laughs> minutes. So I just have been like chatting. We're little chatty Cathy. Yeah, so I think to talk about. <laughs> I know. I, so obviously I'm going to have to have you back on the show if you don't mind. I love that. Absolutely. Okay. So much. That sounds super dreamy. Um, but before we close, we have to, of course, do the rapid fire round because like, why would we not do that? Um, basically, I'm just going to ask you like a this or that, like either or, which one do you prefer? And just whatever comes to mind first. Okay. I'm ready. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Coffee. Okay. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Introvert. Yoga asana or seated meditation? Yoga asana. (laughs) Sex or sleep? Oh, come on. I know. It's so rude. Sleep. I love you. Yes. (laughs) Girl, I get it. I totally get it. Um, Okay. If you drink bourbon or wine, Bourbon. Yes, sister woman. New York or LA? Uh, I've been to LA once, so I'll have to choose New York. <laughs> yes, by default, New York. But yeah. I mean, to be clear, New York is yeah. the bee's knees. Um, ebook or hard copy? Hard copy. Totally. Shower or bath? Shower. Milk or dark chocolate? Dark chocolate. Yes. Phone call or text? Phone call. Intelligence or humor? Oh, humor. I'm, it's like, ah, oh God, I know that one's tough. Um, money or fame? Money. Love it. 
Love it. It's because we're My Scorpios, love- girl. I know. I forget. We're both. Of course we are, though. Like, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, my love, how can everyone connect to you? Where can we find you on social media? Do you have a website? All that jazz. Yeah. I mean, everything's very easy. It's all branded the same. It's Erica Mather or Erica underscore Mather. And I'll spell it okay. because sometimes it doesn't come out right. So it's E-R-I-C-A. And then my last name is Mather, like mother with an A. It's M-A-T-H-E-R. So you can look for me anywhere, kind of on the web there, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, That's my website URL. Yes. And she's so worth following you guys. Her social media stuff is radical. Thank you. As is yours. I love your account. Oh, God. Thank you. Erica, I want to acknowledge you for a moment just for the work you're doing, for walking your talk, talking your walk, doing all the magic. Um, for being such a, a positive light in a world that really needs it. So thank you for showing up and for chatting with me today and just being you. Thank you, Alexa. It's really a pleasure. I'm so happy we had this opportunity to connect. Yes, me yeah. too. And this is, I, I believe this is the first of many. Yay. 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 Right. Bravo. Good Bravo. job. Bye, guys. <laughs> You guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. What an absolute gift. Uh, Please do connect to me. I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, um, social media in general at Alexa Silvaggio. And if you do have a second, I would be super grateful if you left us a review on iTunes. Why? Well, because that actually makes us more visible to everyone. And I'm all about spreading the good stuff, right? Spreading the goods, getting the word out because I want us all to benefit. I want us all to feel good. I want us all to thrive. So this is your gentle reminder, my love, to go out there and create an epic life. All my love.